You're listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number 16. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Education New Zealand. New Zealand is one of those kind of elusive countries for me to visit. I still on my bucket list, but definitely high on that list. I cannot wait to visit. Now, about Education New Zealand, ENZ, as it's lovingly referred to, is the government agency responsible for promoting international education. Here's a quick fun fact. New Zealand is the only country with all all of its universities counted among the top 500 in the world in the QS World Rankings. That is crazy impressive. And it welcomes around 125,000 international students every single year. You can learn more about this small but mighty destination and their high quality study opportunities at studyinnewzealand.com. Okay, so a few announcements and updates and all that kind of good stuff from me. I hope you guys are having a wonderful week. I'm recording this on Tuesday, and they just confirmed the Secretary of Education. I have concerns with that, but hey, as educators, it's our job on the ground to do the most amazing work that we can do to impact the world in the way that we can in our little corners of wherever we're working. So for those of you who feel the same way I feel about this new cabinet member. I hope you that you don't lose heart and you still keep fighting the good fight in your work every single day because what you do really, really does matter. So, okay, enough about politics and <laughs> my soapbox. Okay. So yesterday was the official start of my last live round of the Global Pro Institute, and I'm really excited to get to know this next crop of GPI alumni and future international educators. It just, it warms my heart and makes me feel so excited to see and, and honestly get to know these people who are going to be filling my shoes and your shoes, depending on who you are, in the next you know few years and, and decades. And it, it is really inspiring to sort of see the future of where field is headed. And, and, and I think we have to look you know sort of behind us in, in terms of who's coming um, on our tails in terms of the professionals that are uh, rising up and, and really excited to take on this work. So, so excited um, to bring these new people into my world. Uh, if you miss the GPI, GPI enrollment this time around, have no fear. Uh, just make sure you stay tuned to the newsletter to be notified about future opportunities to enroll. I, I'm moving it to what we call an evergreen option where it's sort of always available, but I've got to work on a few backend crazy tech things. So I will announce it when it's sort of there for you to to take advantage of. So uh, have no fear. I've gotten a lot of emails from people about that. So you could technically go and enroll in in it right now. It's it's still open, but some of the the bells and whistles are, are gone from the experience. In other news, I was at Old Dominion University last Friday giving a talk and workshop for their higher education leadership grad students. And we dove in and talked all about building a professional brand, a body of work, and meaningful connections to launch their careers in this field. It was a lot of fun, you guys, to take my teachings from inside the Global Pro Institute and, and take it into the wild, so to speak, and actually work one-on-one -on -one with students face-to-face -face and 
and dive into sort of their unique situation and, and get some feedback from them. It was a lot, a lot of fun. I got some great questions from them. So I have to give a huge shout out and thank you to Dr. Chris Glass and Dr. Steve Bell for making it all happen and welcoming me to campus. I would love to come back. So let me know. Uh, for those of you in the San Diego area, I'll be there this weekend for um, giving the keynote at the San Diego Lessons from Abroad Conference. I'm actually staying with a GPI alumni and that's going to be a lot of fun and looking forward to connecting with as many IE professionals and study abroad alumni as I possibly can. So if you're there, please stop me and say hi, and I'd love to meet you. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Today, I'm bringing you a conversation with Amy Rutherford, the Director of Education North America for Education New Zealand, which I've already told you guys a little bit about. Amy has been working in many areas of the field uh, for almost a decade, from sending and receiving students at a university in New Zealand. She's served as an on-site director for international program provider, and now she works for this government agency in support of international education and initiatives. She has a fascinating job now I, I sort of love you know the approach she gets to have in this role and kind of a different type of organization but most importantly she shares why you all need to put New Zealand at the top of your study abroad slash travel bucket list if you haven't been there already so I'm pretty sure none of us needed convincing but after this episode you absolutely will be so let's go to the show hi Amy thank you so much for coming on the podcast I'm really excited to introduce you to everybody yeah I'm excited to be here thanks Brooke Great. Well, I like to start off all of these interviews kind of with the same question, but I want to know how you got to where you are today. So what's your international ed story? Well, my international education story actually starts before I was born. So um, doesn't start with me. So my mother, who is English, she went to New Zealand on a um, teaching exchange in the mid 70s. And um, that's where she met my father. So my and so so part of my whole growing up was a story about how she came to New Zealand and how she met my father. And then we lived in Australia. We lived in the UK. So international international experiences have always been part of my life. And so when I got to university myself, I decided that I was going to be an international student. I was going to study somewhere overseas. <clears throat> and I decided to study in the States. So because of that history of, you know, just always having that opportunity, I think, and then when I got back to New Zealand, I decided to do my master's. And while I was doing my master's, I decided that I wanted to get a job because I wanted to stop being a poor student. And there was literally the day that I looked online for a job, I saw a job in the international office at the University of Otago um, in Dunedin in New Zealand. And so I thought, well, I can do that. I've been an international student, so I can do that. Of course I can. I know all there is to know about international. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and so I applied and I got the job and kind of the rest is history, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So how long were you at that university? Um, at the University of Richmond. I was at University of Richmond for a year. So I was an exchange student for, me, for a year from the University of Otago. So I finished my bachelor's degree, mm -hmm. kind of took an extra year and did an extra year at the University of Richmond. Okay. And then as a professional, how long were you in that role in the international office? Did you grow in that in that position? Um. I was there, well, I worked for the University of Otago for five years, I think, and I did okay. three different uh, three different roles there, in international admissions and then international marketing and recruitment okay. of international students. Okay. Yeah, but I, 
I, when I was, I've been listening to some of your podcasts and, and when you're talking about how people get into this particular field and I feel a little bit bad because it was sort of accidental for me. Oh, well, you know, that, okay. honestly, it's a really interesting element of this profession because I hear that story a lot or that narrative a lot of like, well, this role kind of opened and I applied and I kind of just got it or like they offered it to me, you know, it just sort of fell into it, which is interesting, I think. I don't want to say it's a negative, but it's hard, <laughs> yeah. I think, for the people who are working so hard to try to break in, right? They're like aiming for it and doing everything to position themselves in the right way to get those types of positions. And, you know, one of the things I teach in my Global Pro Institute is that sometimes, and I think a lot of times in our field, it's not just about, do you have the skill set? You know, have you studied abroad? Like, Like ticking off some of the boxes. A lot of our field, I think, is your connections and being, you know, right place, right time, but mm. intentionally, you know, being right place, right time. Because you could have applied for that role, but you could have been somebody who hadn't studied abroad, you know, done, and so yeah. it may not have worked out if you hadn't sort of already networked with that office, already had some experience with that, organi- you know, that university, those types of things. So anyway, that's yes. a sidebar <laughs> conversation. Well, yeah. For me, I mean, the, the getting of the original job wasn't the thing. It was deciding to stay with an international education. Interesting. So that was the, the decision. I mean, I, I didn't want always want to. I mean, when I was an international student at Richmond, when I was an exchange student there, I mean, obviously I had an interest in all of the other exchange students and study abroad students but studying at the University of Richmond as well. It did definitely sort of pique my interest in getting into the field. I mean, that's why I originally applied for the job, but it was the staying in it. The deciding what I wanted to do next, which I think, which is where it started to get more complicated. Mm-hmm. What I mean. Oh, that's really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fa- more fa- familiar to some of the people who are looking for a job perhaps at the moment. Right. You know, yeah. So, you know, yeah. But getting the first job was the kind of the easy bit. Right. <laughs> so I tell people all the time is that the first, your first job doesn't necessarily have to be your sort of dream come true job. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. like the dream job. Sometimes you need to get in the door a little bit to learn about this field and this industry and what really goes on sort of behind the scenes, how the sausage is made. And, yeah. and from there, then you can, can either decide what area of the field really is a best fit for you or if this field in general is a good fit for you. And I think that's a yeah. really important thing for people to realize about themselves is that a lot of times just because they loved their own experience doesn't mean that this field might not be fulfilling for them. Because, you know, yeah. working in this field is a lot different than participating Actually being a, yeah. <laughs> a study student yeah, or, yeah or studying overseas absolutely it is so you said you didn't always know until you know you know you became an international student and you kind of said oh that piqued your interest with this this industry but what did you plan to be when you grow up what were you studying in university <laughs> what were you going to be well i did my undergraduate degree in anthropology and psychology like human um mm-hmm. bioanthropology and psychology and I did my master's in psychology and aviation psychology my parents run a flight seeing business so they fly people around um like in a tourist airline kind of thing so I did my master's in aviation psychology I assumed I was just going to go into academics um and then while I was doing my master's I got this job in the international office and um from there that's where it kind of grew this interest in um, internationalizing a student's experience at, at a institution, I think, and now working for a government agency that works on the international, works on international education. It's even sort of broader than that. So, um, 
yeah, it's uh, it was accidental, but I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, let's talk a little bit more about your career. So you you had various roles at the university level for five years, but now mm-hmm. you're running marketing in the North American market for Education New Zealand. That that seems like a pretty big jump. I know you've had a, di- a few different things in between there, but how did you sort of get the prowess? And what have you done in your career to get to the point where now you're you know doing big scale marketing campaigns and approaching the world in that in that frame? Uh, well, I think I started out like quite literally on a reception desk asking new, answering new students kind of questions and talking to them when they first arrived in um, in New Zealand in Dunedin and then went and started working on the kind of admissions side of things to actually work through their applications when they're applying. And then the marketing and recruitment of the University of Otago as an education, a study abroad predominantly, I worked in North America and Europe. And then I went to work for IFSA Butler as their resident director of New Zealand programs, so managing the New Zealand programs in New Zealand, and I did that for two years. And then Education New Zealand, which is a, in terms of government, it's a new government agency. It was formed at the end of 2011, so it's just turned five years old. Can't work out my mathematics. Yeah, yeah so it's just yeah. over five years old. Um, so that was new. Um, that was a new government organisation, and then... I saw, I just, I just was talking to someone, I think, who had just started working there and said, Amy, you should come and work for us at Education New Zealand. Um, And so my experience was, you know, in university and working for an American study abroad provider. I had no experience in government at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I first started working at Education New Zealand, I worked on the China relationship. So Education New Zealand isn't just um, a marketing agency. It, It covers... In, in terms of um, international education, it covers all aspects of international education. So we're, we cover education diplomacy, the government-to-government relationship on education between countries. Um, we cover the promotion of New Zealand as an education destination. And we also cover um, internationalising a New Zealand students' experience So in terms of making sure that New Zealand students get offshore to have that international experience and bringing in international students into those classrooms, but also helping institutions to set up relationships with one another across the world to make sure that New Zealand students have that international experience. Mm-hmm. And so I worked at, walked into Education New Zealand having had, by that stage, I mean, seven years of experience in international education, um, but no, no experience in government. And then working on the China relationship, which is kind of, all education diplomacy, it's all government to government kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that was a real <laughs> learning curve for me. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, it sounds like you do, if I had to sum it up, you do a lot of bridge building, you know, mm. between different constituencies, different countries, you know, access to opportunities for yeah. students around the world, whether you know, leaving New Zealand or coming to New Zealand. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. I, I'm really curious, you know, you mentioned that it was a big learning curve. What what were yeah. some of those initial challenges that you faced? Can you give us any specifics of things that you learned along the way? I, I can. Um, so, I mean, New Zealand is obviously a small country. I mean, there's 4.5 million New Zealanders. And I think, uh, so at the time, the Minister of Education New Zealand, the Minister of Educa- uh, Tertiary Education, Skills and Employment was Stephen Joyce. Now he's um, the Minister of Finance in New Zealand. So I think the third ranked member of the New Zealand government. Um, it, it, we just had a change of leadership there. And so he, I think between, when I first came into education, kind of Education New Zealand, between me and him, there were, I think, one, two, three, three people. So that's how small New Zealand can be. You know, it's quite a flat kind of structure, everything, because, you know, it is 
a, a relatively small country. Uh, and so some of the learning curves that I have had was when people would say, you know, someone, um, when you need to inform our minister about this thing, please write like an aid memoir. And I'm like, well, I don't know what an aid memoir is. So how do I write one? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like Google aid memoir. <laughs> you know? GTS, what? kids, GTS. That's what I say all the time. Google that shit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there was an, as an element of that because, I mean, a lot of the people who work in government have come from university, predominantly from university, gone into a graduate program. So a lot of these questions that I was asking it's kind of a mid-career professional. Um, they they had you know people just assume you know because you're 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 part there. You should have been by this stage part of the kind of uh, machinery of government for a number of years. Right. So people were kind of like, well, "What do you mean you don't know?" Yeah, you weren't like, wow. a career civil servant yet, so you didn't have yeah. like all the background. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think for me that that sort of should give a lot of people, especially anybody who's in management or managing people in in any field, but in, in international ed, how important the onboarding process is, and how mm. important it is to get yourself in a frame of reference that people may not know every single acronym or the procedures that are in place that they need to sort of oversee and implement in their roles, and how how it is important to give people a little bit of a, a buffer period where you are kind of handholding them. And because yeah. I, I know, too, that like even though I'm all about GTS and showing a lot of initiative over your own career and making things happen, it's sometimes yeah. at the end of the day, there's a lot of unwritten things that you can't Google. You know, for instance, no. I don't know. I don't know what you found when you, you Googled staff memoir or not memoir. Um, uh, aid me- memoir. And, aim, yeah. Aid yeah. Memoir. Yeah. Oh, I'll never forget it. Yeah. <laughs> but so I, I find on Google a little thing to say what it was, I think. Yeah, oh, or great. What the history of the terminology was, something like that. <laughs> That's fantastic. So that that was a, a big learning curve there. And so what mm. was the big takeaway, the big lesson for you? Um, well, what I did was, I mean, Education New Zealand at that stage was still a very new government agency. Um, and so I learned that um, because people were kind of I don't know, reacting to everything that was going on in the environment. I mean, everyone was new. Everyone was new. It wasn't just me. Everyone was new. So there weren't those kind of processes in place. There wasn't the library of kind of stuff to go and look at to see what people have done before, that kind of thing. I think I learned that you have to be very proactive when it comes to a situation like that. You can't wait for people to bring you that information. You have to go out and seek it for yourself. So I made sure that I did some um, seminars on basically, you know, how the New Zealand government works, what it means to be, kind of a public servant, we call them public servants in New Zealand, or a government official, mm-hmm. what it means to be and what responsibilities you have as part of that process and how it how it works, basically, how the, that machinery works. And then working on the China side of things, um, I decided to go and do some language training in, in China to get an understanding about, well, the culture of um, China more than anything. I went to Beijing Language and Cult- Culture University Um and so I sought out those opportunities. You know, I, I made sure that I educated myself. I talked to people and I wasn't afraid to ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like when someone says, you know, go and aid, write an aid memoir, the first time I went and Googled it, the second time I well, I don't know what it is. You yeah. need to give me some information right. about this. Or, <laughs> yeah, you know, go into the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of, and Trade um, and the New Zealand Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade and be like, what does this mean? You know, I'm going to be the one that's going to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not, I don't care that it that everyone else knows I don't. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's really great. I think it's kind of a nice segue into sort of my next question I wanted to chat about. So when it comes to like having procedures and even like safety nets in place for staff to fall back on, especially when things go awry. One of the things that we talked about when we met this last fall is that you were site director for IFSA Butler when the earthquake hit. I can't remember the exact year. 2011. Yeah, it's about five years ago. Yeah. So, and I was just curious, as the site director in a big sort of security emergency response kind of situation like that, what was that like? Um, (laughs) And, and what, and what did did you learn anything from that experience that you sort of Mm. taking with you or about international education in general? I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Well, the earthquake happened, I think, maybe two and a half weeks after I started at the oh, Butler. Nice. So, <laughs> Thrown into the deep kind of, end. Yeah, like, quite literally. Like some of the, the first times I talked to some of the people at the Butler were like, nice to meet you. I'm your new resident director in New Zealand. And we have an, a major emergency right. that's kind of going on. Um, so that was kind of like, you know crazy. I mean, I didn't understand the organization that I was working in at that point. I didn't know the processes. I didn't know what was supposed to happen or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was more a kind of like, well, I hope that they trust me. You know what I mean? I mean, they have employed me in this role, um, but I, they're going to have to trust me in this particular situation. Um, and so one of the things I'm, I think I'm most proud about in my entire career so far is that all of the IFSA Butler students were evacuated from Christchurch and started at other institutions the same time as those other students were starting. Canterbury, University of Canterbury, where we had students, um, somewhat luckily in this particular sense, started a week earlier than all other New Zealand universities. And so when we evacuated the students, they could go straight into um, another university. And then other New Zealand universities were also fantastic. Right. Um, as well, and, and making sure that the students coming out of Canterbury were taken care of. Um, and what I learned, I think, is that you have to listen to your colleagues. We have um, we had people on the ground in all of the cities that we have students, um, and so talking to them when the phones worked, basically about mm-hmm. what was what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think what I learned is what a student sees as right isn't necessarily the best outcome. But these students had just arrived in Christchurch. They'd been there for sort of a week, was it? Something like that. So I think they'd had their orientation week and then the, maybe it was the second day of classes, something like that. So they just started in Christchurch um, and they saw this sort of massive kind of um, emergency happen right. and they wanted to stay and help. Ah. But but their study abroad students, if they, they can't, you know, the Canterbury, Christchurch was asking people to leave because they didn't want to look after extra people who could leave. Right. And also a study abroad student is their main, they're there to study. Mm-hmm. And if they had stayed in Christchurch, they wouldn't have been able to complete this semester of study, would have added a whole extra time to their degree, you know, mm-hmm. they would have been behind and everything. Right. And, the their, and their visa status probably would have been jeopardized, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there was just whole loads of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and the longer, I knew that the longer that they stayed in Christchurch, the more kind of so much traumatized they would be, but they would be less able to kind of like readjust into the normality of just going to class every day. Mm-hmm. And so I think we got them out of Christchurch, I think within, was it like 36 hours of the earthquake happening, something like that. It wasn't the next day. I don't think it was the next, maybe it was the next day. I can't remember now. It's like six years ago. Yeah. Now, but it was really soon afterwards. And the students, some of them were really upset. Like we wanted to stay and help. Yeah. Like, but you're not here to help. 
you're mm-hmm. not you're you're not i mean Right. Um, well, and they also don't state. have the skill set and knowledge to be able to help. I mean, honestly, they would they would almost be a drain on the system for the professional yes. emergency response systems and people in place to, yeah. to do that kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, later on, students from the University of Canterbury and Lincoln University set up the student army, which helped with kind of further recovery, you know, right. going out and, you know, digging things up. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um but that wasn't straight away in that those first kind of weeks. You're right. They, they mm-hmm. wouldn't have been able to help. The Canterbury Christchurch were asking people to leave. You know, if you mm-hmm. can get out, please do leave. And so we got our students out with all of their bags. You know, they didn't have to get on the evacuation flights that were happening, you know, all that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so at the end of the semester, those same students who were saying at the beginning, you know, why did you make me leave? They're like, Amy, thank you so much for doing, you know, making sure that this 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 happened. We had a, uh, a you know a, a great semester, and I don't mean as in you know we it was like great as in maybe I should say we had an awesome semester, not awesome as in it was am- amazing, but it was kind of I'm filled with awe about what happened mm-hmm. here through this semester. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So um, I think that's probably, and I would say the other thing that I would say is the value of having on the ground staff. You know, having these programs these support services for students on the ground. I mean, New Zealand has the Code of Practice for the Pastoral Care of International Students, which is a, I think it's one of the first, is I think it's the first code in the world to look after international students while they're in um, the country. Uh, and so all New Zealand universities, all New Zealand institutions that accept international students have these support services available for students, but those support services, you know, at that particular point were completely overwhelmed. I mean, the people themselves were supposed to be providing support. You know, their own houses, their own families, mm-hmm. their own friends were affected by this earthquake. So having that extra support for students was just completely invaluable. And the mm-hmm. universities, you know, recognised that. Not just only University of Canterbury or um, Lincoln University as well. We didn't work with Lincoln, but I'm sure they would say the same. But also the other New Zealand universities that accepted these students from uh, Christchurch the the value that these programs bring mm-hmm. um, to help support students it's it's mm-hmm. just really fantastic just because you've been on the ground you've stared this in the eye you know this type of situation what would be maybe a couple of pieces of advice you'd give somebody working either in a study abroad office or as an on-site director of an organization who's thinking like wow we really need to kind of shore up our own procedures and response plans for something like this what, what would be a couple of pieces of advice you'd give them to getting started or making sure it's a sound plan I think you need to start from almost like a worst case scenario in this particular respect. I mean, people at the University of Canterbury, um, you think you might, oh, yes, well, I'll have my phone, you know, I'll have my emails on it, or I'll have access to things, you know, stuff, mm-hmm. whatever. But the servers went down. So right. there was no access to anything. They couldn't get into anywhere. They had no, they didn't have, you know, lists of students because that's all on a computer where it's no longer working. Mm-hmm. So, you need to think about what happens if you don't have access to anything. I mean, luckily, I mean, because we were based in Wellington, um, the IFSA Butler head office is in Wellington, um, we still had access to, you know, the, the materials and then right. um, in Indianapolis as well where the, the overall head office is. But it's even thinking about what would you do if you don't, you can't do anything. Right. You know what I mean? I think the other thing I learned was to also take care of yourself. Mm. Um because it is exhausting, you know, it's exhausting um, making sure and looking after 
uh, really, really was looking after other students and it's enormous hours mm-hmm. and things like that. You do have to look after yourself, whether it's not. I took myself out off to Samoa um, for two weeks afterwards to like lie on the beach and I literally <laughs> just... <laughs> right decompress yeah beach. absolutely yeah, you know, yeah. You, i mean you need to look after yourself in those situations that well. can be intellectually emotionally maybe even spiritually draining to go through something yeah. as as life or death as that you know and, and dealing yeah. with everybody else's emotional response to those things as well can suck a lot out of you i totally can hear that yeah, yeah. yeah well thank totally. you for that yeah so let's switch gears a little bit i'm, I'm glad that it all worked out obviously and if the butler's you know students all had a, a great semester great academic experience elsewhere so good for you for doing that so let's let's move on to talking about education in New Zealand I, I you've talked a little bit about you know what it does and the different roles it takes but I feel like the last couple of years it's sort of been mm. from a more of a marketing level I feel like wow education New Zealand's everywhere I feel like I see you you know doing things with go overseas and you know at all the big events and things like that I'd love to talk more about what you guys are doing and, and some of the big initiatives that you guys are putting out there what are your big goals for for Education New Zealand, especially yeah. when it comes well, to the North American market. I know that's your area of focus. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm glad that you think we're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems like it. I don't know. It seems like it. Well, for a small government agency, I think there's maybe 75 people, something like that. Mm-hmm. I think we do punch above our weight when it comes yeah. to actually doing doing stuff. Um, so it is good to, to, to hear that um, people do think that we're everywhere. You know, yeah, try to create that illusion. Yeah, um, well, all of a sudden, I feel like New Zealand was like the big thing, you know, with the scholarships <laughs> and all the things. Like, they're going to be overrun with international students. Well, the Education New Zealand, um, like I said before, it's a small government agency, mm-hmm. and we come from, you know, I always say a small but perfectly formed country. <laughs> um, nice. And we take our direction from the government's leadership statement on international education, which clearly sets out sort of our targets, our stretch targets and objectives until 2025. And so we, at the moment, we're on track to achieving those uh, targets. And that is that international education will be worth $5 billion to the New Zealand economy by 2025. Wow. Um, Yeah. At the moment, New Zealand's fourth largest export industry is education, international education. It's just overtaken wood. Um, (laughs) So it went from the fifth. To the fourth, yeah. Yeah. So we're quite excited about that. Um, we're really excited about that. Because um, it's moving in the direction that we want to uh, move in. Uh, and so when it comes to our objective, objectives, it's because um, those internet, those people-to-people links, those the education flow between uh, New Zealand and the outside world is enormously important for the health of New Zealand itself. Mm-hmm. Something like... 25% of New Zealanders were born outside of New Zealand and I think it's up there like maybe even close to 50% of people in Auckland were born outside of New Zealand. So we have it's an enormously multicultural uh, country mm-hmm. and and that I would say the New Zealand economy um, success depends on the international relationships, international trade that we have. Um, and a, a large part of that is making sure that people are coming in to New Zealand who have that uh, global experience and then uh, also that New Zealanders are also getting that global experience mm-hmm. as well. When it comes to the US side of things, um, the relationships between New Zealand institutions and US institutions are really important 
because of student flow, yes. I mean, the US is probably the most popular destination for New Zealand students. There's something like 1,400 students, New Zealand students in the US uh, this year. And there's close to 3,000 US students in New Zealand each year as well. So um, China, um, that's where the large large number of international students in New Zealand come from. And I think there's just over 30,000 Chinese Ooh. students in New Zealand. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I think overall there's about 125,000 international students in New Zealand. Okay. Something like that. So, I mean, it is a, really important to New Zealand to have these links. And it's important from the U.S. context because – um, the U.S. is the well, it's not the largest tertiary education system in the world. China is, but it's the kind of largest, best-funded, mm-hmm. highest-quality um, education system in the world in that kind of sense. Um, so to have these relationships between our institutions and U.S. institutions is enormously important from like a recognition perspective. And we know that what goes with recognition is rankings, mm-hmm. you know. So and to make sure that the the students flow going between the U.S. and New Zealand leads to kind of um, academic kind of relationships and um, research flow, and that leads to you know um, mm-hmm. recognition of more recognition of New Zealand institutions. So mm-hmm. it's just an important place for us to be. Right. Well, I'm curious. You know, as you are um, out working with universities, or you know, even talking to students and talking to them about New Zealand as an option, what are some of the, I guess, hesitations, you know, or barriers maybe that students from the U.S. say or you know might might experience trying to go to study abroad in New Zealand and and what are you guys doing to sort of help remove some of those barriers or some of those um, hesitations? I don't know if it's so much the student's hesitation. Invariably, um, if I'm out there or my colleague Alana is sort of out there um, talking to students, say, to study abroad there, I mean, you get the students who just kind of look at you and they're like, no, I just don't want to go to New Zealand. You know, I just right. no. Yeah. <laughs> kind of yeah. look at it and look, no. Um, but then I think from some study abroad professionals, we have more of, um, not trouble, but there are some more barriers, I think, Mm -hmm. because New Zealand is an English speaking destination. Ah, And so people think, um, somehow that it will be easy for students because we're English speaking. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we're kind of lumped in with kind of Western Europe, you know, where, you know, that people do want they di- that diversity to send students sort of outside of Western Europe. But mm-hmm. we're, we're very far away from <laughs> Western Europe. And one of the things I think that has I've been reminded of being at the New Zealand consulate in LA now for a year and a week, which is quite exciting, um, <laughs> a year and a week, um, is that how different the US and New Zealand are. You know, they're just... We do speak the same language, apparently, mm-hmm. but we were just talking just yeah. before we got on the, <laughs> started talking here about um, I've got my phone in front of me. Uh, I wanted to prop it up um, so it wasn't going to fall over during the, <laughs> the podcast. And I said to Brooke, Brooke I need some blue tech. She just sort of <laughs> nod and smile. Nod and smile <laughs> yes, go and get some blue tech. And so I walked out to talk to um, some of my colleagues who are American to say, do we have any blue tech? And they all just looked, looked at me like I was crazy. Um, what is this blue tech you speak of? And what did you call it? Uh, sticky tack. We sticky determined tech. that it must be sticky tack. Sort blue of like Play-Doh, but tech. it's really sticky. You know what Play-Doh you is? stick it to like, <laughs> yeah, Play-Doh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You stick it to like a poster and mm-hmm. you stick it on the wall. Exactly. Kind of thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's just, you know, obviously that's a really small example. Yeah. But 
when it comes to like these cultural differences, when you're talking about um, going into a country where, you know, you speak English, sometimes you can have problems that you just don't expect because you think, well, you know, I'll be able to talk my way mm-hmm. through this or, you know, I speak English and they speak English, so we should be on the same page. Mm-hmm. But there are fundamental differences between um, the way New Zealanders and US people from the US, and I, I don't want to lump everyone from the US into one particular kind of right. homogenous group, because of course you're not. Right. Um, absolutely you're not. And I, I'm assuming that some people from, I don't know, North, the Maine, coming to Los Angeles would find it you know, enormously different. Absolutely. And that's one of the biggest things I I talk to people about is I think that sometimes we get a little bit high and mighty about what a true cultural, integrated cultural, meaningful experience can look like. And I tell people all the time, you know, I went from the farm in Kansas to school in Boston and Mm. that was a much harder cultural experience for me transition than really going from Boston to studying abroad in London. And there were definitely still cultural differences and and things, but I was not only going from like a different worldview, but also just like a different physical environment of like, no, you know, of cows everywhere and, you know, very rural, you know, sort of community middle of America to a very urban liberal, you know, there's cars and buses and things everywhere kind of thing. And for me, that first year in Boston was really, really hard because I remember, I remember calling my mom and saying, come on, I feel like I could fall over dead in the middle of the sidewalk and no one would notice. They just step right over me. Whereas in, in my tiny little town you go to the drugstore or walmart and you get like the the, everybody's life update on everybody else you know what i mean tiny little community so it was just a really different experience for me and i think like you were saying just because you know we both speak conceivably the same language the way we name things you know has has some cultural implications so if we're different Mm -hmm. just on like oh i call it sticky tack you call it blue tech or something you know like what yeah what you guys may think about yeah in the new zealand you know sort of general new zealand perspective on asian politics might be different you know like that it 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 sort of trickles up if you will in terms of larger differences that that might take place that i think are worth discovering at least you know for students to go and go what what is different now or what where do we align things like that well i quite often say to people new zealand is not america with funny accents you know what I mean? Right. And that seems, you know, haha. But it isn't, you know, there are fundamental differences between the two culturally, between the two um countries. And one of the things I think is US students are quite often not prepared for that. I mean perhaps if they're thinking about I'm going to go to Beijing to study abroad there, they recognise in themselves that it's gonna be fundamentally kind of different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not being able to speak the language. You know, China, you know, but the, I, I think sometimes students coming to New Zealand are not really prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that seems to me that if you have like a negative cultural interaction or something that you don't really understand, your first kind of reaction is kind of rejection. Like they're stupid. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not doing, why are they being like that? They're being mean to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was one story of a, a student, this actually happened quite a lot. <laughs> there was a story of a, but one particular student uh, when I was working at Ipsa Butler said, Amy, my professor hates me. And I'm like, your professor hates you? Like, what do you mean? What class are you in? It was some maybe 200 level second year class or something. I'm like, how many people are in your class? Maybe 300, something like that. Uh Like, your professor doesn't even know who you are. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty sure that your professor doesn't hate you. Why why do you think think this? And this student came from a very small liberal arts university where when they're writing their essays, they write something along the lines of, I think this kind of thing, you know, I, my thoughts about this particular thing are this. But, um, this is, 
and and then in New Zealand it's probably similar in other uh, lots of education systems. Maybe this is a difference between really tiny liberal arts colleges. Was that you know when you write I think I feel my thoughts about this are you just get a big red cross through it. And so the student was thinking whenever they say I think this, they were um, this professor was rejecting their thoughts. And they weren't. They're just saying this is not how you write academically. You can't mm-hmm. write from your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know those little kind of things where they her thought was he hates me right <laughs> yeah a little less of like the the nurturing of you know of, of giving <laughs> yeah. her some really nurtured feedback as opposed to like nope red marker right through it red yeah no, no. <laughs> big no yeah well let's talk a little bit about some fun stuff uh, that you guys are doing with education new zealand to sort of get the opportunity out there to more students and some of the promotional activities you guys have been doing. I think it's it's been really interesting to watch and maybe you could share a little bit about how maybe a small study abroad offices could utilize some of those strategies or tactics and maybe a smaller scale. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because I think that as a small government agency, there's probably more in common with us and sort of small study abroad offices mm-hmm. than you would think. Yeah. Because invariably one person at ENZ we call it ENZ, right. not ENZ, ENZ. <laughs> yeah. um, at ENZ wears many hats. So you do all kinds of different things, mm-hmm. um, which is probably quite familiar to a small study abroad office. Um, I would say that from day one, we've been dependent upon other government agencies um, in New Zealand to implement policies that probably facilitate the achievement of our goals. So we need to make sure that um, other and every time we're asking other government agencies for things, I mean, that increases the pressure on them. And we also need to make sure that New Zealand education providers support our goals as well. Um, and we need to not, well, not just support our goals, but really to do the work to actually achieve them. Because obviously Education New Zealand can't enrol students in New Zealand. We can't actually get um, students from our institution to send them overseas. Right. And add to that, we need to ensure that New Zealand communities welcome these international students into their communities to make sure that um, New Zealand under, New Zealanders kind of understand why this is important for New Zealand. We call that social license in New Zealand as well. So what I would say to a study abroad office, small one, is like, who are your stakeholders? And have you clearly defined how you will work with them? And have you made sure that um, the people, the departments, the faculty who can help you in their mission, have you thought about how your success will impact them and, and their work streams? Mm-hmm. as well to make sure that you're you're clear about you know yes we need to we want to do this this is our university's mission mm-hmm. but we're also clear about well this is going to put more work on you who are not perhaps directly within study abroad but you know how are you going to work with those people right. um something else i would say is uh education new zealand works very well in digi- the digital and social media space and so You'll see uh, work that we've done with Go Overseas, for example, around our $15,000 study abroad scholarship to come to New Zealand. And we can't afford to have sort of enormous traditional advertising campaigns. I mean, I keep saying we're small, but we are. We're small. Um, And so we've gone digital and social. And we aim to reach our audience through the same uh, social media and web channels that they're already using. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we're trying to create somewhere for them to go to it's we're looking for places where they already are exactly so we have an enormous facebook following we're growing our followings on instagram snapchat twitter and i'll I'll shamelessly plug here and say go search study in new zealand on any of those particular platforms and you'll be able to find us right uh 
Instagram and Snapchat is mostly populated by US study abroad students who have received scholarship from Education New Zealand, mm-hmm. um, posting you know videos and pictures and stuff of their time uh, in New Zealand. And so that that content that they're generating is really authentic in a way that me sitting at a study abroad fair and saying, New Zealand is awesome, you should go. Right. It's more authentic than that. I mean, obviously I'm a New Zealander, but still, you know, mm-hmm. if other students are saying, you know, these are the the experiences that I've, I've having, and it's not that sometimes we do see pictures of them in the library, which I'm always right. um, flabbergasted by, you know, right. <laughs> just bit of beautiful pictures of them outside in the New Zealand kind of environment. Well, I'm curious, you know, I know that, and correct me, I think you've done two of the, the $15,000 scholarships that go overseas, sort of that big. Three. Three now. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So, three now. I'm just curious because I think a lot of times people, will, they want to do things that hundreds of students are going to benefit. Clearly, with this particular thing, one student gets one scholarship. And so, people might be thinking, well, but how is that going to get more students to come to New Zealand, right? And I'm just curious, do you see an actual uptick in the number of students coming to New Zealand and, and perhaps maybe some of those students who applied who didn't get the scholarship still decided to come on down to New Zealand? Well, we, um, it's not, well, there is a one fifteen thousand dollars scholarship, but also a number of New Zealand universities and institutes of technology and polytechnics also offer right. um, other scholarships that sit underneath that particular scholarship. I think this last year there was maybe 22 or 23 mm-hmm. scholarships ranging from so like a thousand to five thousand dollars. Okay. So, I mean, yes, but the the fifteen thousand dollar one is just for one uh, student. But when it comes to New Zealand, um, or as I have joked with my colleagues um, at Education New Zealand, as we are known in the states as Australia and New Zealand, <laughs> invariably when I talk to people, people will say, "Ah, oh, you know, I've been to Australia," and I'm like, "Well, that's very good, but that's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and happy be." So it, it's really that this particular. Um, campaign is around increasing the profile, just increasing right. the profile of New Zealand. Um, because when it comes to a study abroad student, because they're not, they're deciding not to study for an entire degree um, or to go somewhere for an entire you know, four years, I think they can choose, they can change their mind. Like a student can walk up to a, a person at a study abroad fair ch- thinking I'm going to go to London and then change their mind at that time and then decide to go to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a story about this um, where the student, um, when, I think at the end of my first year at the Butler, she said, Amy, did you go to the Columbia Fair uh, maybe two years ago in New York? And I'm like, I did. And she said, oh, well, I talked to you at the Columbia Fair when you're working for the University of Otago and you convinced me to go to New Zealand for a year. And I'm like, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you. Yeah. <laughs> well done, me. But what did I, what did yeah. I tell you? Yeah. Like, what, how did I convince you? I said to her. And she said, well, you told me the story about how um, there was a, a student that he'd, I'd just been in Wisconsin or something like that. Um, and I'd been talking to the student who'd studied at the University of Otago. And I said to him, you know, what did you do? And he said, I, I joined a soccer team. And we used to run along the beach in Dunedin. And one day I was running along the beach and I went to jump over what I thought was a log and I realized halfway through the jump that it was a penguin. And so he was running along the beach with his team and then he went and jumped over this penguin. And he's like, where else can you jump over penguins but in New Zealand? Yeah. And I'm like, this is true. And so I told her the story and she said that was it. She's like, you know, I knew I had to go to this place where the penguins are on the beach. Yeah. The penguins are on the beach and you can accidentally jump over them. 
um it's a real kind of wildlife experience right and for her I mean it was more than that she the what she was studying related to kind of like environmental science mm. you know but it was that kind of weird I will mm-hmm. go as far as to say that kind of weird kind of story which sparked her interest mm-hmm. to um to start looking at New Zealand mm-hmm. um and then she decided from there that she was going to go and go for a year yeah um from Columbia and you can't really get much more different between New York mm-hmm. to the South Island of New Zealand it is really different so I think that's a really sort of great lesson in in marketing in general because I, I think I see especially a lot of uh, providers in the United States who are sending, you know, taking students all over the world and all their programs that they, they, they offer. And sometimes, you know, when I'm looking at that, I'm like, okay, I feel like I could cover the logo and it's a crapshoot on which provider it might actually be talking about. Because th- sometimes I feel like they lack sort of a unique story or perspective. And I, I think that's a really great way to think about what are the stories and experiences that you can share that are, are truly unique to either your organization, mm. your country, you know, your in- institution that, you know, just it would be really hard to sort of claim or replicate other places because because of the the sort of unique value proposition that you're adding. And I think that's that's a really interesting lesson there. <laughs> well, we do a lot at Education New Zealand to think about, you know, why do students choose um, to come to New Zealand? And we've mm-hmm. done a whole load of interviews um, to develop personas. Mm-hmm. Um, so we interviewed students all around the world, students who uh, were thinking about choosing New Zealand or students who weren't at all, mm-hmm. um, to find out what their decision process was. And we came up with four different per- personas. And when we look at students from the US, the student personas that we fit to them are the adventurer persona and the future maker, mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense. I mean, the students back in the US are future makers. They're, they're going to a predominantly good US institution for the for the most part. And so they're thinking about what they want to do in the future. And also they are adventurers. You know, they're adventurous mm-hmm. in that they want to leave home, mm-hmm. you know, home their home and their home institution and come to New Zealand. But there's also the element of they they do love the outdoors or they're interested in learning about um, the indigenous culture of New Zealand. Um, you know, that that kind of thing. They're adventurous mm-hmm. students. Mm, interesting. Okay, cool. Well, that's a nice segue into I because you work for Education New Zealand, ENZ. I have to say. So, what? Yes. Why is New Zealand the best damn study abroad destination? This is your sales pitch. <laughs> 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 Not really, but I would love to hear. Like, you know, if you were you know talking to a student, like, why? Why do you think New Zealand is should be at the top of their list of places to go? Well, I mean, everyone knows, and this is something I know now from by living here again, everyone knows that New Zealand is outstandingly beautiful. Right. You know, the first thing that someone says to me when they find out from that I'm from New Zealand, they say, it's beautiful. And I'm like, it is. And I take personal responsibility for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, it is. It's gloriously, amazingly, frighteningly beautiful. But everyone kind of knows that. And I think that sometimes I think about it as a supermodel of countries. Mm-hmm. We're just so beautiful that people quite often can't think beyond that. Mm. You know, like, what will I do there? Because mm-hmm. it's just, you know, beautiful. But we're, we're more than that. I mean, all New Zealand universities, and there are eight New Zealand universities, all New Zealand universities are ranked in the top um, 500 universities in the world, that means that they're in the top 3%. And no other country can claim that, can claim that all the institutions are in the top uh, 500 universities in the world. So that means that we also have an enormously high quality education system. But again, everyone says that when when you're looking at recruitment materials from any institution anywhere in the world, they're going to say, you know, come here, you'll have a great time. 
and where you'll get a great education as well. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to things that when you're talking about, you know, why is it that a New Zealand would a student would choose New Zealand over any other uh, destination? It's because of things that um, like the the unique indigenous culture of New Zealand. So you can't go anywhere else and experience um, the Māori culture of New Zealand. And invariably, US students do go and take Māori language and culture courses and uh, end up speaking some te reo, some Māori language, by the time that they finish in New Zealand. Interesting. I know at IFSA Butler, we took them onto Marae, which is kind of like a, it's a meeting house. Um, and students would be speaking te reo Māori, so speaking the Māori language within sort of maybe... 48 hours of arriving in New Zealand, standing up on a marae and, and speaking about where they're from in the world. Uh, so that's something you can't really experience. Right, us. right. And also we like to think New Zealand has this culture of number eight, number eight wire. So, yeah. Yeah, you're going yeah, to have to explain that. Yeah. <laughs> you have to explain what it yeah. is. Yeah. So number eight wire is fencing wire. Okay, it's a certain size of fence wire. And New Zealand... Um, you know, keep saying this, but it is. It's not a large place. So people, the, the kind of historical cultural tradition was you could use this number eight wire for other things. So you could um, use it to, I don't know, tie your wheel onto your wheel thing on your car. Okay. Like that. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. your nut broke or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm not mechanical. Either. But it's about thinking of outside the square kind mm-hmm. of thing it's about um thinking industrious yeah industrious innovative yeah. the new zealand education system it um teaches innovation it teaches critical thinking it think, teaches it out of the box thinking as well mm-hmm. and so one of the example of this is rocket lab so new zealand this year is about to become a space-faring nation we're about to develop a space industry which people are sometimes surprised about when you think <laughs> about new zealand you don't necessarily think about something as um, technologically advanced as um, the space industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rocket Lab is a New Zealand country, company which is about to start launching rockets from the East Cape of New Zealand. Satellites, it's kind of like um, SpaceX, I think, similar kind of mm-hmm. thing. And so the reason they're doing it from New Zealand is because when you launch a satellite, you have to shut down, I think, a lot of air traffic and um, shipping lanes and things in case there was a catastrophic failure and exposed across an enormous kind of distance. But when they were setting up this particular country, obviously New Zealand doesn't really have an um, aerospace industry, never had one, so they don't have engineering qualifications in that area as well. And so they had to find engineers from overseas, but also from finding general kind of engineers in New Zealand that have that kind of innovation experience to be able to become the um, aerospace engineers as well. Mm-hmm. That sounds really interesting. You, this might be surprising to you, but when I think of New Zealand, I actually think pretty modern, innovative, and maybe mm. it's because I also follow quite a few sort of like entrepreneurs and things who are who are Kiwi, and so in my mind, I think of it as sort of a a small but mighty kind of innovation hub. Yeah, and and a lot of cool things going on there, but maybe not everyone in the world sort of knows about it, like Silicon Valley or something. But there's a lot of cool. I think of it as a modern place. It is. It it is. It's a small advanced economy, mm-hmm. but that beauty aspect, I think, for a lot of Overshadows. people who yeah. have just maybe heard of heard of New Zealand through that kind of lens, I think mm-hmm. that that is sometimes 
well, it's obviously not negative, but right. Um, <laughs> the but Lord of the Rings aura kind of overshadows some of the Lord other of the things Rings. going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, that's. But, I mean, Peter Jackson. He he was very helpful to New Zealand's image overseas. Right, just putting the name on the map, kind of thing. Um, but uh, on the other side of things, you know, we are we are a a nation of innovators and entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, real fascinating. Well, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. And it was really cool to hear your story and hear all these great things about New Zealand. I have yet to be in New Zealand. I've been to Australia, but I do know it's very different. <gasps> <Thanks>. So <laughs> it's very different. I was so close yet so far away. It's like, oh, I got to go all the way. It's a long flight. But I that is one of my goals. I definitely want to go there for the beauty. But I also know there's a lot of cool things going on in the entrepreneurial world. So I'm excited to visit yeah 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 well um do come down and see us yeah we should come for the new zealand international education conference oh well when is in august okay august in 2017 it'll be there okay yeah august 2017 in auckland all right well i will link to all of that in the show notes and uh, thank you so much amy thanks brooke Thank you so much for coming on the show, Amy. If you guys want to connect with Amy, you can do so over on LinkedIn. I will have that uh, URL in the show notes over at insidestudyabroad.com slash podcast, and you'll find Amy's episode there. And you can click through and find all the cool information of that we shared in this podcast episode. Now, before I let you know who's coming on the show next week, I want to take a moment to thank our episode sponsor, Education New Zealand. You often hear about how beautiful New Zealand is, as Amy just described, but it's also recognized as a top quality destination for education, and they have a focus on technology, innovation, and creativity. You can find out more about study options, institutions, and how you can grow your program options in New Zealand at studyinnewzealand.com. Now, for next week's episode, I'm interviewing Samantha Martin, CEO of Via TRM, and we're kind of doing a little workshop style episode about how you can close the gap in your office between the number of students who say they want to study abroad and the number of students who actually do it. So stay tuned for that next week. If you guys want to connect with me, uh, you can do so as Inside Study Abroad over on Twitter and Facebook and all that good stuff. But if you want to kind of creep on me personally, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat as The New Dorothy. Until next time, I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful week. I will see you on the inside. Bye for now.